630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Tyson Berry is now an Edmonton Oiler. The Oilers made the free agent signing on Saturday. Barry taking a one-year deal, $3.75 million. For me, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, with everything that's going on and, and coming off the year like I had, um, to be able to have a chance to go uh, into Edmonton and, and play with this team on a, on a one-year deal. And um, it, for me, it just uh, it wasn't about money this year. And just, you know, coming in to kind of reestablish myself and... Uh, you know, show, show the league that I'm still a, a pretty good player. So um, they got a lot of pieces in Edmonton. I love what they did uh, with Turris and uh, getting Enzo signed up too. So I think we got a pretty, uh, pretty great team and um, I'm looking forward to getting involved. Now the perception is, is that Barry didn't have a great season last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs, especially early on says he did get better after the coaching change. Of course, Mike Babcock was replaced by Sheldon Keefe, but Barry hoping to turn the page on last year. You know, coming out of Toronto is tough. The, the media is tough and, and the fans can be hard on you. And um, I'm just excited to show that, you know what, I'm, I'm a hell of a player and, um, I got a lot left to give, so um, I think this is a perfect opportunity for me to to show that. And um, with just the way that the the year has gone, um, you know, pandemic and and everything included, it's almost a, a perfect storm for a, for a one year deal one year deal for myself and um, to come in and just uh, you know we'll see where the chips uh, fall after the year, but um, I'm excited about it. So Barry will jump into the Oilers lineup. He'll probably be on the power play, helping that already potent unit. But Barry says there's more to his game than playing with the man advantage. I've always excelled five on five. Um, if you look back my time in Colorado and um, I've had a lot of good years, five on five and I'm, you know, I get labeled as the power play specialist kind of thing, but you know, sometimes I feel that's unwarranted, but I mean, that's not for me to say. So um, I love the way Edmonton plays. They play fast. They drive teams back. Um, they've got guys who pull up and find a late guy, and that's kind of where, you know, my bread and butter is is following the rush up, beating a four checker up the ice, and becoming that fourth man. And I think with the speed that Edmonton has, it uh, it kind of fits right in. And you know, hopefully, I can uh, put some in the back of the net coming late. Also on Saturday, the Oilers bring back goaltender Mike Smith. He gets a one-year deal worth two million dollars. I think the uncertainty of not knowing where you're going to be, I think obviously always weighs in on, uh, you know, you and your family. But I think when it came down to it, I think Edmonton was always, you know, a place that I wanted to be and um, really believe in the, in the group and the coaching staff that, that is in place in, in Edmonton and really enjoyed my year there last year. Obviously disappointed with the way things turned out in the bubble, but I don't think that has uh, any reflection on, you know, our group and what we can accomplish uh, this upcoming year or so. Um, you know, obviously sniffed around out there once, you know, just to kind of get a feel for things. And then, um, but, but, you know, kind of had my heart set on Edmonton and I'm glad we get a deal, uh, a deal done. All right. So Barry and Smith, the Oilers signings on Saturday after on Friday, they locked up Kyle Turris and Tyler Ennis. So that's your summary for the Oilers free agent period. We'll see what else happens here along the way. And also uh, on the weekend, Taylor Hall picking the Buffalo Sabres one year, $8 million. Hey, thanks for checking in today. Hope you've had a great Thanksgiving weekend. My name is Reed Wilkins. So those are the Oilers headlines from uh, from over the weekend with free agency. You can get more on 630ched.com, globalnews.ca. We have a lot to get to today. We'll have some great interviews for you as we feature a best of inside sports, as we often do on a holiday Monday. When we get back, Tony 
Granato, former NHLer, now the coach at the University of Wisconsin and the coach of the Oilers' first-round draft pick, Dylan Holloway. Last week, the Oilers selected Dylan Holloway, 14th overall forward out of the University of Wisconsin, where he is coached by former NHLer Tony Granato. That's where he stands out, like as far as just being a humble, mature, understanding of what it's, you know, what the importance of, of uh, understanding what it's takes to be in a locker room of, of NHL players. Like I think he came into our room and nobody knew him when he came into our dressing room. Here he comes in with Alex Turcotte as the fifth pick overall. Cole Caulfield is the 15th pick. Andre Miller was the first round pick and, and lots of other draft picks in our dressing room. And he gets off the plane from Alberta and comes into a, you know, a, a small town in Wisconsin. And, and from the first day he got here, I go, you know, he gets it. He comes from a very humble, uh, grounded family balance. He's he's done it the right way. Uh, he kind of always had the the uh, I don't want to say underdog chip on his shoulder, but he always felt you know that hey he could do more than and be a better player and kind of do it in a quiet way than some of the other people that were getting the attention. And I think that's kind of what this draft uh, was as well because I I've watched him you know obviously for the last 12 months, but for the few years before that I watched his development uh, to get ready to be college hockey and put himself in a position uh, where the NA NHL teams are obviously, and especially Edmonton, really excited about uh, what he can do as a player, and and um, I think he's just starting to, to you know blossom. I think he's got a lot lot left uh, as far as his development goes, um, but um, he's a very polished kid that has great skill, uh, a great work ethic. He's got a, a compete to him that that it takes to to make it to the NHL. And the other part I really like about him, he's he's coachable from the standpoint. Coach, where do you want to play? You want to play left wing center? And we've been a second line, third line, first, whatever you want. That's his mentality. There's never a, oh gosh, I should be on this line or I should be playing with that guy or how come I'm not on this, you know, power play unit or you know. There's nothing like that. He's he's coachable. Uh, he's looking to learn and get better, uh, and that's why I think he'll just continue to blossom and, and grow as a player. Tony, it's interesting when we get ready for a draft, whether you're a guy in the media like me or a lot of fans who get interested in it, you start reading all this stuff. You know, you can watch things on YouTube and highlights on websites. And the one thing that gained momentum about Dylan, and I want to ask you if this is fair or not, the one thing that gained momentum about Dylan was that he needs to be better uh, offensively. And he, he kind of referenced it himself that he needs to finish a little bit more in the interview we did with him. But, you know, I wonder if, if, if that's a legitimate sort of criticism of him at this point in his career. Well, I, I can just say this. He led the A.J. in scoring. As a, you know, he was 16 when that season started. Uh, the only player ever to do that is 17-year-old was Comrie. Um, so, and, and the game's gotten better than when Mike Comrie played, and that league's gotten better. Um, so, scoring, I don't think is is an issue. Do you want him to lead the league in scoring? You got, you know, you got McDavid and Drysaddle in your organization. You don't need, you know, Dylan Holloway to come in there and get 100 points for your team to have success or for him to be a great NHL player. Uh, so, I think he, he's a guy that will finish he will score um if his cap in the nhl is is 20 to 25 goals a season uh for the 14th pick overall with what you get besides that you got a heck of a pick 
in that in that position. So, so I think his upside, you know, uh, you know, I, I Kenny Holland has obviously done a ton of work on him uh, as far as watching him and, and trying to learn about him. Uh, and him and I had a conversation yesterday or a couple of days ago before the draft, and he said, "Okay, what's his upside?" And I said, "Well, I, I said Kenny, I, I said I played with a guy named Marco Sturm, uh, who was reliable. He could play any forward position. Uh, he could play first, second, third, fourth line. It didn't matter, but he would have an impact on the game in a positive way, and he'd be great in your locker room." And uh, and he got 20 to 25 goals, you know, uh, in, the, in the peak of his career. So that's the bottom end for me, for him. I think that's what he can be. He can be a Marco Sturm for you. And then there's, a you know, an upside to him that I think is even a lot more special than that. Um, but, um, you know, this year is, a, I think, a year that he's going to have an opportunity now to be kind of our primary guy. Last year we had a lot of players playing in front of him. This year, he you know takes over a lot of those responsibilities that Turcotte had. He's going to get a chance to be on the ice with Caulfield and some other great players. So I think this year he could really uh, you know turn himself into a guy that produces numbers uh, that people are more impressed by. But if you watched him play last year from game one through through our last game of the year, uh, you saw a kid that that had a ton of uh, compete in him. Uh, was it a factor in the game uh, one way or the other? Whether it was skating, whether it was his physical play, uh, whether it was his battle at the net front um and uh, so I, th- I think he's got uh, uh, an opportunity this year to to put some more points on the board and and uh, and get himself ready for pro hockey and that was the, the other conversation you know with kenny your question was you know when will he be ready and you know this is a big year for him uh from the standpoint yeah he'd love to be in edmonton at some point soon but i don't think there's a race to get there i think it's uh, you know continue to develop and grow this year he should be a really really good college player and potentially an All-American. But I think, you know, he comes, he comes back another year, even after a great year like that, he has a chance to be, you know, the best player in college hockey in a couple of years. And, and when you can do that and get yourself ready in that way for college, you look at Makar, that's the guy that I always, you know, say two, two years after his draft year, he played college hockey. And that first year he was really good. Probably could have turned to make it to the NHL. Second year, he dominated, put himself in the Hobie Baker uh, race and won that, and then stepped into the NHL and didn't just play in the NHL, but it has had an impact on the second he got into Colorado's lineup. I think that that's what you know the college players that are the high-end guys like Dylan uh, should look to do. Tony Granato, University of Wisconsin hockey coach, joining us on Inside Sports. I'm glad you referenced Dylan's success in the AJHL. I used to live and work in Lloyd Minster, covered the AJ. I know that if you lead the league in scoring, that's usually reserved for 19 and 20-year-olds, so it is significant he did it at his age. Tony, I've also been lucky enough throughout my career to cover post-secondary sports, whether it's colleges or universities, and that's where I want to go next with your journey as a head coach. I, I've developed a saying over the year, and I, I, I ask a lot of coaches about this, um, you can win a lot of games in the summer. Tell me about the recruiting uh, side of the job for you and, and how competitive it is uh, in NCAA hockey. Well, it is competitive. Um, you know, we I, I've been here four years now. Uh, the the uh, four years has been uh, um, 
a learning experience for me in a few different ways. But but I think you know when I came back here, you know we we had, our, our program had had dropped to a, a low level where, where we were really having trouble winning games. We had won four games one year and then eight games the, the year after that. So so we weren't in a very good position. And the idea for us as coaches when we came back was to we got to get the high end skilled guys back here. Uh, we got to change a lot of things to get back to being an elite program. We we've been uh, you know we've got six national titles here. We've got you know 89 or something guys that have gone on to play the NHL and had some tremendous careers from guys that have left here. So we got a tradition in history, but we we were off a little bit. So so recruiting to Turcotte's, Caulfield's, Holloway's, Emerson's, Miller's, uh, the high end guys um, were important to us to get you know those are the Joe Pavelski's, the Ryan Suters, the Chris Chelios's, and Scott Mellonby's and other guys like that that we've had as those type of players back in our program. So that was the first thing. We got them back here. Now we, we need to build depth uh, and four-year guys and some guys that come in older to support that talent. I think we've started to do that. You know, last year was a disappointing year because I think we were probably you know one of the most talented teams in college hockey, but we were young and and uh, and I say we were a little bit immature from the standpoint that we couldn't turn that into the results that we should have. Uh, but uh, it's been a, a great you know, a uh, journey for me because this is where I played. I played four years here. I got uh, a ton of passion and and uh, time invested in this, and this is where I want to be to get this program back to being being elite. And and when you can recruit a kid from Alberta and sit down with the Holloway family, explain to them what you're trying to do as a, a building a program and, and be able to, to have him, you know, to make the commitment to come here and, and turn down all his junior opportunities uh, was certainly one of the rewards when you get a chance to, to, to pull a kid out of Alberta, you know, not just because he's a good hockey player. And the more you learn about Dylan and his family and, and get to see him, the more you'll know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, for me, a, a great opportunity to coach a young man that I know is going to uh, appreciate his time here in Madison and uh, and represent us when he does leave here in, in the way he shows uh, his skills to the Oilers and, and to the NHL fans that are going to get lucky enough to see him. How do you, I mean, you played in the NHL where you're playing three or four games a week. The, the NCAA schedule is a lot different, just like U sports here in Canada. We have the Golden Bears. They usually play Friday, Saturday. How do you manage the different balance between practice time and game time to keep the practices upbeat and energetic and not sort of like, oh, geez, another three days of practice before we play type of thing? Well, I think it's the perfect setup for development. I think this is the for for a kid trying to get to the NHL. We got first of all, we got a strength coach, uh, Jim Snyder. Uh, he's been here a long time. Uh, he, I'll give you an example. Joe Pavalski is his guy. So Pav, during the year, he's got a strength and conditioning coach that he had in San Jose and in Dallas this last year that he uses. But he's on the phone or or contacting Jim every single day to to help him through the the, the activities of a day and what he needs to do to be ready for the game. But we're fortunate that he has we have him every day here at the University of Wisconsin to help our kids uh, understand what it's going to take off of the ace so so they're able to continue their workouts Monday through Thursday uh, which you know during a normal pro season or maybe even a junior season when you're playing during the week you don't have that opportunity to do so so we play Friday Saturday Sunday's the day off and then we we build up uh, during the week but but, but lots of the development physically uh, is done 
off the ice and the strength and conditioning side of things. Um, and then the other thing is you play Friday, Saturday against the same team, and you look at college hockey now. You look at our conference with Michigan, with Minnesota, with Penn State, Ohio State. You know, you go down the list, Notre Dame. You're playing against other kids that have the same ambition to be in the NHL, and most of them are, are drafted as well. So the competition that you get in those two games uh, and then the, the four or five days to practice uh, and develop, I think, is, is a perfect recipe for for what young players need. And you don't need four years of it if you're a first-round pick uh, and an elite player. You, you might need one, two, or three. Uh, but but the, for the kids that, that are, are middle-round picks and, and uh, um, not quite as high-end skill, that four years of development competition that you have at, at the university is a, a really good uh, uh, option to have to, uh, to try to make it to the NHL. Tony Granato joining us on Inside Sports. Tony, I, I got to throw one more at you. During the hockey season, Kelly Rudy is a weekly guest on this show. I texted him this afternoon and said you were coming on, and Kelly wrote back, he's simply the best. I love playing with Tony because he competed as hard as anyone I ever played with. There you go from Kelly Rudy. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny because when you, as soon as you brought his name up, that was the thing I was thinking about him. Competitor, uh, you know, we had a run together in L.A. there, and then we had some time together in San Jose there as both our careers kind of winded down. Uh, there's not a better teammate. Uh, better guy to be around off the ice a uh, better family man than Kelly. So we, we I'm lucky because I go back and remind myself and kind of look back at team pictures and, and and rosters of guys that I played with. I even look through my phone list and say, oh my gosh, you know, was I lucky to not only you know have made it to the NHL but to have had the opportunity to play with guys like Kelly. So so I mentioned Wayne a few minutes ago when we got on the call about the, the uh, him you know wanting to talk to Dylan yesterday after or a couple days ago after the draft and then you think oh my gosh you played with Wayne for seven years you know you look how you know as a hockey player uh, and someone you know that, that gets lucky enough to play the sport as long as I have you go back and that's what you are so grateful for the opportunity to play with people and players like Kelly and Wayne and then Marty and Yari and I could go on your probably half of your Edmonton Oiler uh, you know all-star uh, list uh, you know they, a lot of those guys came to LA Charlie Huddy Grant here, Paul Coffey, oh my gosh, it, and it just, you know, you, you say, I got an opportunity to play with those guys and see what they were all about, and that's what makes uh, being a pro athlete uh, that much more special is the opportunity to be with those guys. All right, that's Tony Granado with some perspective on the Oilers' first-round pick this year, Dylan Holloway. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad is back with Jake Neighbors of the Edmonton Oil Kings. All right, to get more on Tyson Berry signing with the Edmonton Oilers, remember to check out 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. Busy week last week in the National Hockey League. Free agency opened up, and also the NHL draft was held. How about Jake Neighbors of the Edmonton Oil Kings went 26th overall to the St. Louis Blues? Uh, yeah, it was insane. Um, obviously, it was with all my family and, um, you know, was hoping that, you know, I'd get the chance to go to, you know, any team. But, um, you know, was very, very happy when, you know, we heard that St. Louis was going to select me. And, uh, you know, obviously a ton of excitement, a ton of emotions. It was, a, it was a great feeling. What kind of conversations, if any, did you have with them leading up to the draft? Did you suspect that they were pretty interested in you? 
Yeah, I think a bit earlier in the, in the offseason, um, right when the season ended, um, you know, I did quite a few chats with um, with one of their scouts, um, you know, did a meeting with a psychology doctor and, you know, met their staff and everything like that. So, um, you know, I think I knew there was a little bit of interest there for sure and, um, you know, that they, they liked me and who I am as a player and as a person. And um, But, you know, didn't really have any indication that that was for sure going to be the spot or if they were going to pick me. So it was just kind of crossing the fingers. Were you, I know we touched on this a little bit last week, were you pretty hopeful to go in the first round? Would have it been tough going to bed last night uh, having, having not been picked? Did that enter your mind at all? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's every kid's dream to go first round. It's kind of the, you know, just the, the trademark of it or whatever. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's opportunity is equal. You're going to get a chance to go to camp and, um, you know, prove yourself. So at the end of the day, the pick doesn't really matter. But, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't extremely happy that, I, you know, I got it over with yesterday and, um, you know, got to go in the first round. It was uh, it was outstanding. No, who was who was all there with you? And, and I'll tack on to that maybe for someone who wasn't there who was the first uh, family member or loved one you might have texted or called yeah so I was with uh, my dad my mom uh, my stepdad my stepmom and um, I have five siblings uh, two half brothers um, two two stepsisters which I had online actually one's in Australia and one's in Edmonton and then um, I have my stepbrother there, uh, my girlfriend, and then um, my brother's wife and, and their kid um, and my brother's girlfriend. So quite a busy house. Um, there's a lot going on, but it was very important to me to have, you know, all my immediate family there. And, um, you know, kind of the first FaceTime I made was, was to my grandparents and, you know, they're out in Saskatchewan. And so I kind of FaceTimed them and, um, you know, shared the moment with them as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that, that's, uh, that's great to hear. What, what did... I mean, when you get that call from the Blues, who called you? What kind of things do they say? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, obviously got a call from their general manager, Doug Armstrong, and, um, you know, their scouts and talked to some media and everything like that. And, um, you know, it was all positive. They said, you know, they really like the way I play and, you know, they think I fit the style of, of St. Louis Blues hockey. So, um, you know, that's a good start. And, uh, you know, they talked to me about development and, um, you know, all these types of things that, you know, are going to help me get to the next level and, and you know, kind of, um, you know, some tips and, and starter points of how we're going to begin that process together. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Jake Neighbors joining us tonight on Inside Sports, drafted by the St. Louis Blues, and of course uh, a member of your Edmonton Oil Kings as well. A- another pretty cool moment. Uh, what did it mean to you, not just to see Ozzy Weisblatt picked, but the way he was selected by Doug Wilson, who signed his name? Yeah, it's outstanding. Um, you know, obviously, me and Ozzy and the family have become very, very close over the last couple of years, and. Um, you know, for the deaf community and, and I know for his mom and, and the family, it, it means a lot that, um, you know, Doug Wilson did that and, and signed the pick. That was, uh, you know, absolutely outstanding. And, um, you know, I think my family might have been louder for his pick than they were for mine. We were, um, you know, very stoked and, and very excited to see him taken. You know, their family is is uh, my family as well. So it was a super surreal moment and, and you know, an awesome moment for, for Oz and his fam. Can you tell people about uh, meeting meeting Oz and getting to be good friends with him? Can you take me through that uh, that friendship? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we kind of we started talking in Bantam, um, you know, when we we were playing against each other lots, and um, you know, just kind of one of those things. They added each other on Snapchat and just started talking that way, and then. Um, you know, it ended up turning out that I came back um, for that midget year and, and played for the Buffalo. So we ended up on the same team and, 
um, you know, we met in tryouts and, and right away just clicked, um, you know, had some instant chemistry as friends and, um, you know, it just continued to build. And, um, you know, on the bus rides, I was I would learn sign language from him. And I think, you know, that really meant a lot to him. He's never had a friend kind of, you know, take on that responsibility before. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of what, what brought us so close, um, you know, and, and obviously that led to being just as close with the rest of the family as well. So, um, you know, that's kind of kind of our story. It's uh, nothing too special, but uh, pretty cool. So, well, I think it is special, Jake, because you you wanted to learn sign language, did you not? So you could communicate with his mom. Yeah, yeah, because. Ozzy would always, uh, he'd always tell me to sign things and I didn't know what I was saying and I, I think he had me saying some pretty, uh, some pretty funny stuff so, um, you know, I had to learn it so he couldn't pull my leg anymore. How long did it take you to learn it? Quite a while. I'd say, uh, you know, it took, to get the alphabet down fluently, um, you know, probably took about a month and a half, two months. Um, you know, when you're really starting to flick the fingers around quick, it's, uh, it takes some practice. So, um, you know, I still struggle with it, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to improve. Well, good for you for doing that. And, and that connection with Ozzy and his family is, is pretty cool. Um, how are you spending the next couple of days? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, last night was kind of, you know, with the family, got got to see some of my buddies and my friends and, you know, celebrate the night. And, um, you know, I think we'll just take the rest of the week here uh, as it goes and, and, you know, just kind of enjoy it before, uh, you know, we snap back to reality and get back to work here. So, Well, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you're playing for Oil Kings fans uh, in the near future here as well. We'll see what happens with the WHL season. But I'll end there. Anything you want to say to uh, Oil Kings fans, people who have cheered you on here in Edmonton? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, I want to say thank you for, for all the support. I mean, we got the best fans in the Western Hockey League in Edmonton. Um, you know, us as players get tremendous support. And, um, you know, all the love I see on social media and, um, you know, stuff like that from the fans is, is awesome. So I want to say thank you to all of them. And, you know, I can't wait to, to pull on the Oil Kings jersey and play in front, of, uh, in front of you all again. Right on. We look forward to that. Jake, I know you're doing a lot of these interviews, so thanks for fitness in here on 630 Chet. Again, congratulations. We'll keep in touch and all the best. Thanks so much, Reed. I appreciate it. We'll chat soon. All right. Good to catch up with Jake. And when we get back, we'll catch up with Derek Laxtall, the former head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, just spent a long time in the bubble as the assistant coach of the Dallas Stars. He knows all about coaching in Edmonton. He once was the bench boss of the Edmonton Oil Kings, helped them win the Memorial Cup six years ago. He was back in Edmonton for an extended stay during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Derek Laxtall, now an assistant coach with the Dallas Stars, who were beaten in the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. A long time in the bubble for Laxtall and the Stars. If you look back, we actually arrived in Edmonton on July 26th. And the, I remember the drive from the airport into the hotel by the arena, the JW Marriott. And we've, we've driven that road many times, going to Red Deer, going to Calgary, and in and out of the city of Edmonton. But I tell you what, once we got into the bubble, I couldn't tell you what city I was in. I think the only thing, the saving grace I had, I could see the Eskimo Stadium, and uh, I could see the uh, the Kuhn University. But uh, after that, I, you know, after the first month and, two, and the second month. Um, we didn't know what day it was. We didn't know what month it was. We didn't know what time of the year it was. We didn't know where we were. Just everything was so. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I just got back to Winnipeg yesterday. We flew straight to Winnipeg to get up to quarantine. And I got to be honest with you. It almost felt like I was in a dream. I'm like, okay, and I'm back here with my daughters, my, my granddaughter, my wife. I go, uh, where was I for the last 
two and a half months. So it, it's very, uh, it's not surreal, but just it seems like you're just kind of in a, in a uh, lip of a moment. We were there and gone. Now we're moving on. It, it's just, it was incredible. But uh, I had a lot of good memories and everything. It was too bad we didn't get the chance to go outside and visit people. I did get a chance to see uh, Brian Cheeseman and Rogan Dean who were working in the bubble and helping all the teams and uh, the old Kings uh, trainers and equipment manager. They did a great job. But uh, uh, that being said, you know, the, the NHL and the city of Edmonton, the bubble that we were in, uh, was well ran. We, we met a lot of great uh, ladies who were running the testing stations. We saw them every day doing our COVID testing. And, uh, you know, we, it was great because we had a lot of these uh, people that were cheering on the Dallas Stars. So they really made us feel welcome to, to the city of Edmonton before we got into the playoffs. So uh, that being said, when you, when you look back and you reflect on, you know, the guards, the nurses, the hotel staff, the arena staff, and the effort that everybody put in, it was uh, quite an accomplishment to get this thing, uh, get this thing knocked off without one case of COVID. What uh, what kind of things did you do personally, and what kind of things did did coaches maybe do for players, or maybe even for each other, to kind of uh, keep focused and keep from maybe feeling that isolation? Or sometimes did you just have to allow yourself to feel that way and and then let it pass? Well, the hardest, the hardest part was probably the round robin. I think we, um, in the first three games that we played, or the four games we played, three games we played the round robin, there was about two or three days for us. I think between August 1st and August 9th, we played three games. We had a lot of downtime. So um, the mindset was, boy, this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be long and drawn out. And once we got into that first series, you know, we played uh, Calgary the six, six games. We were kind of expecting a day or two off, and then the league is like, you know, you're playing the next day. So we had a day off, you get a day of prep, and then you're playing Colorado. You finish Colorado in seven, you know, you get a day off, bang, you're going to Las, Las Vegas. Now you're playing Las Vegas. We beat them in five, and that was the only series we had four or five days off, which was quite nice, but we were ready to get going. But just, you know, when you're in that groove of game preparation, uh, game on, game preparation, game on, you really didn't, uh, it, it, you know, if you look back and think, well, you really, really didn't have any downtime because we're prepping, you know, you're cutting video, getting ready for your meeting. I run the power play in the six on five, so I was already getting ready for the next game with the review. And then if the next series went on, we were doing the prep for the next series. So there wasn't really much downtime. We did spend a lot of time together as a coaching staff throughout the two months. Um, uh, there wasn't one fight. <laughs> There's a lot of red wine that was great. But at the end of the day, you know, just uh, we really grew as a family. We really grew as a staff. Because, as you know, we were kind of thrown together on that December 10th. And uh, it, it was kind of a weird season if you look back on it. But through the bubble, you know, it just wasn't, you know, the players had a lounge. We had a ping pong table. I think there was some things in the arena for the players to do. But, um, you really, I think the farther you went in the playoffs, your team got tighter. And I think that could only uh, play out well for the Dallas Stars uh, going into next year, whenever that starts. Derek Laxtall, assistant coach from the Dallas Stars, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. You, you know, one of the one of the big storylines for the Stars this season was that Jim Montgomery was was let go as head coach. Rick Bonus took over, and and you joined the staff. Uh, um, 
you know, after being with the Texas Stars, tell me a little bit about uh, gelling with the other guys. I mean, obviously, you and you and Nelly have have passed ties to the Oilers uh, organization, and I know the coaching fraternity is a small one, so everybody usually knows each other, or maybe we're teammates, or you know, at some point in the past, or, or whatever. But what, what was it like uh, coming into that situation? Maybe a little bit on on bonus handling all of that. Well, you know, it, it happened so abruptly where, you know, I think we spoke before I was driving to a Christmas party on December 10th and we got the call, which was almost a year ago, took in a couple months. Uh, I got the call, like we made a coaching change. But from that point coming in, uh, Rick Bonus was outstanding. You know, he's such a bubbly guy. I'm sure you've had him and talked to before. He's been in the NHL 50 years. I think this is his third Stanley Cup, so you can see how hard it is to get there and not only get a chance to win it, but uh, he was awesome. He, uh, the, uh, he delegated the power play, so he didn't run the power play, so yeah, I got it. And uh, John Stevens, who is a former head coach for the Philadelphia Flyers and the Los Angeles Kings, and Coach Nurse, they actually were the same age. We uh, played against each other. And him and Todd Nelson, they were all great. You know, the transition was outstanding. And then when we had the break at the end of the year with the COVID, uh, COVID break, you know, as most coaching staff, we're meeting once a, once a week on the Zoom calls, getting ready for training camp and uh, working on the areas that we're trying to improve on. And the one thing that we were really worked on as a team, and I thought that the coaching staff did a great job of coming together, was we weren't a high-scoring team in the regular season. We didn't have a lot of ozone time, and that was one area we really tried to work on and get better at. And as, you know, if you look at the first three games on the play, and we just didn't look ourselves. And then once we got going against Calgary, uh, the big heavy series, we really started to come around with uh, the ozone time, went up to, you know, three and a half, four, four and a half minutes a game. And then you're playing teams like Las Vegas and Colorado and Tampa, who are high-end ozone teams throughout the league. Uh, we started to match some of that ozone time. So some of the areas that we worked on, we, it paid off for the group, and obviously it helped us get to where we got in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I think a lot of it had to attribute to the chemistry of the coaching staff coming together quickly and moving forward into the training camp uh, post-COVID. You know, there, there were so many storylines for, for you guys. And, and I said several times, Derek, as the playoffs went on, that you guys, to me, were almost starting to look like a, a team of destiny, some unlikely heroes, Kadobin playing incredible. Um, and sure, maybe, you know, there's the odd bounce or the odd break all, along the way with uh, with other teams having injuries, though that certainly did catch up to you guys uh, in the end. But I got to ask about, maybe I'll just start with Yoel Kivaranta and, and go from there. I mean, you need unlikely heroes in the playoffs. That To me, that performance in Game 7 against Colorado, that must be one of the most unlikely of all time because I, like many people, was Googling him and trying to find out more about him as he eventually won it with a hat-trick in that game. Well, I think if you look at the stats with a hat-trick and Game 7 overtime winner, I think it was, it was only one other player in the history now. It was a Rocket Richard. Um, there was a stat, there were some crazy stats that uh, our players achieved in this run. And, and, and I agree with you on that, you know, the team of, uh, team of destiny. We really kind of talked about that, you know, inside of the staff. Like, oh, this is just playing out and it's just, you know, we need to push this and ride it and, and keep on, you know, pushing these guys. But if you look back at the hat trick by Denny Gary on up there in game six against Calgary, you just kind of started to feel there's something good happening to this club. You know, Joe Pavelski had a hat trick and things were just kind of coming around. But when you saw the hat trick by Joel Kimmer, I had Joel in, in Texas and he was a, he is a type of player that is, uh, he competes every night. He skates well. He's got above average hockey sense and skill and just, you know, 
He's a type of player that is always in your face and gets things done. That's a player you want to have in the team. I like to call those players motors. He's a motor of your team. And he, he drives our team. And what we saw in that, that overtime game, you all know, scored a couple big goals in the game and get an overtime winner. So you want you break down that overtime winner like he was in front of that. He pushed into the D, he bounced down the slot. Like he knew what he was doing. It wasn't just a fluke that he was going to get open. He knew where he was going. So it just shows the hockey sense that he has. And you know, he's going to have a great future in the NHL. You know, he's going to be a talent killer for the Dallas Stars next year. Probably a third line winger for the Dallas Stars. And, you know, obviously uh, he's a great free agent pickup that we uh, we got out of Dallas or we got out of Finland last year. And, um, you know, his story was incredible. You know, you saw the uh, the, the calls from the Finnish uh, announcers at the end of the game. And uh, I know we're showing a lot of video with the families. I think his girlfriend, the one night, had a video on her said, Joel freaking Kivaranta. So there was a lot of great stories, and there's a great feeling in our room. And, and just when we lost a couple guys in, in games, uh, I think it was two and three, you just kind of you could feel not the air deflate of the group. We just kind of feel Tampa taking over and, to the point where we just couldn't get back. Derek, you and I have done a lot of these chats over the years about your teams, about your journey. So I do want to ask you about that. I mean, coaches like players are always looking to get better, find that edge, take take an experience and turn it into something positive. What do do you really... Maybe this isn't fair because you're still digesting it. It hasn't even been 48 hours since the the season ended. But is there anything that you're really taking out of this that that, uh, you feel is going to help you grow here? Well, the biggest thing that you're going to take out of it is obviously being the first year in the NHL as a head coach and then having the run that you had to the Stanley Cup Finals just... It just doesn't happen every day. I, I've been very fortunate as a head coach. I think in the last 10 years, whatever I, I started, in, uh, like, like the, when I left in 2010 from Idaho to the Edmonton All Kings, to the Texas Stars, to the Dallas Stars, I've been in 10 league finals, uh, ECHL, three WHL, one American League final, and then the NHL final. And the biggest thing I think from this one that I can take away is it, it is a game of hockey, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to and you want to prepare your players to the point where they feel confident about the game plan. And then once the game plan is set, obviously you're going to let the players play and then make your in-game adjustments. And most coaches are going to tell you that. But the biggest thing is I've learned is, you know, these players want just enough information to play and you can't give them too much because of that information overload. Now it becomes uh, paralysis by analysis mindset, and just really, uh, you just got to give enough and let them determine what's going to happen on the ice. I think that's one of the biggest things I learned. And the other thing as a coach is, and I've learned this through the Western Hockey League and American League, is sometimes you just have to sit back and let your players play. There's going to be peaks and valleys in the games and in the series, but at the end of the day, you know what? The, they feed off you. They feed off you, they can tell if you're nervous. They can tell if you're, you know, you're a little bit wild on the bench. They can, you know, they really, they kind of take on the personality of your coach. And as the farther you get in the series, that can either help you or that can either uh, be detrimental to the uh, the series that you're in. All right, that is Derek Laxdahl, assistant coach of the Dallas Stars. As we continue with the best of inside sports on Oilers and EE Radio 630 Chet, don't forget to go to our website to get the latest on the Oilers' free agent signings. See what Tyson Berry had to say about joining your Edmonton Oilers. 630 Chet, inside sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chet.